0: Good morning, y'all. Good to be with you. My name is John Elmore. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark. And I've been in IA for the last few weeks, and I wanted to tell you just a little bit because some have expressed concerns. Like, are you okay? Is Laura okay with what she's been walking through? We're just celebrating um, her cancer anniversary. That's a one-year journey with breast cancer. Everything that's coming back is benign, and so we got a way to celebrate that um, over the course of a year. Thank you. And... And because of a lot of that time and doctors and all that, I also grabbed the kids and just did a dad trip. Um, In addition to that, I got to teach at a Christian family camp and bring the kids along. And then the last thing that I did is I went away for like a four-day just time with the Lord, like a spiritual retreat, just me, God, read some books on prayer. Some of you Texans may be happy to know that while I was there, I shot four monster hogs. I'm not going to show you pictures. Uh, in case there's any animal lovers in the room. And the animal lovers, you'll be happy to know that for like a week, I fed uh, a pack of coyotes and a flock of buzzards (laughs) with the aforementioned hogs. (laughs) Um, But I'm thankful in a way too that I I was out those times because what I also got to do, seated right over here with me and my community group and Laura, is sit under TA's teaching for those three weeks and Jermaine last week, which is a huge blessing to me. So glad to be back with you. We've got three things to celebrate today. One is Father's Day, so any dads in the room, happy Father's Day. Hope you have a big steak ahead for you. Um, Second thing to celebrate, speaking of love our city, um, just miles from here, the South Dallas campus is celebrating their one year anniversary today, which is awesome. So Marvin Walker and his team, celebration there in South Dallas. And then the third thing that I want to acknowledge and celebrate today is Juneteenth. Now, show of hands if you know what Juneteenth is. Yeah, so some do, some don't. If you pull out your, if you've got my phone, you may pull it out, and if, you, if you're listed on national holidays, you'll see that a federal holiday is Juneteenth. And there's been um, some lack of awareness and education on just what that even is. And so I want to share what it is today, because it is today, Juneteenth, being a Mashup of June 19th in that word. And so, Juneteenth, what it is. So, on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared all slaves are free. All slaves are free. That was January 1st, 1863. However, it was not here in the South until June 19th, 1865, specifically in Texas that the remaining 250,000 slaves were actually freed. Now, you should be thinking about the math. That's two and a half years. Two and a half years from the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation to the release of slaves. And and how could that be? Like, why the delay? Now, some of it in part was because the Civil War was still going on, but even at the end of the Civil War, there was still a delay of the slaves being released, which is crazy and tragic, and the reason why is because for the South and here in Texas to release the slaves would have meant an incredible amount of discomfort to the slaveholders by way of time and resources, relationships, an upheaval of the economy. And so although it had been decreed, it was not shared, and because it wasn't shared, it wasn't heard by the slaves, and because it wasn't heard, they were not freed and they remained enslaved wrongfully Until June 19th, 1865, because Lincoln sent General Gordon Granger with 2,000 Union soldiers to the port of Galveston. And they entered Galveston and issued General Order Number Three, which declared it was a resolute of the Emancipation Proclamation, reinforcing again, now under the reunified United States of America, all slaves are free, and there was immediate jubilation through the streets, as this news caught ear, and our black brothers and sisters from long ago were celebrating and are still celebrating today. I share that so that today we can celebrate alongside our brothers and sisters, of color, and also because what happened physically then, we are in danger of doing spiritually today. Because today, scripture is very clear. In 2 Timothy 2, it says that unbelievers have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. That for an unbeliever, they are enslaved to sin and Satan. But I fear that although the Emancipation Proclamation of Jesus Christ, that all people can be free in Jesus, that others are remaining enslaved to sin and Satan because for us to share in a similar way would mean our discomfort of time, money, resources, and relationships. That if we were to step out and say, you know, you actually can be free, it would be uncomfortable and hard for us, and so they remain enslaved while we enjoy freedom. And may it never be. Which is exactly why today, here's your roadmap. We're gonna talk about giving for the gospel, sharing the gospel, and living for the gospel, that others in spiritual slavery might be set free. To that end, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 9. We, if you're with us, we've been going through the letter, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and today, 1 Corinthians 9, there's a lot of ground to cover, and so what I'm gonna do is is draw from key verses in each of three sections. The three sections that I'm gonna cover, one I'm gonna spend more time on than others, which is giving for the gospel, because we often don't talk about giving here, but because it's right in line with the letter, that's where I'm gonna spend the majority of the time, because we often will talk about sharing the gospel and living for the gospel. Now, there's some connective tissue between chapters eight and nine, as Jermaine talked about the rights that can be, um, that love limits our liberties for the sake of others, Here, Paul's gonna open with some connection and a link. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm an apostle, not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me, and they were. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? That's chapter eight. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord in Cephas? And so Paul's saying, like, hey, you guys are judging me on the appearances of those rites. Like, Paul, the other apostles who rode through town, like, you know, Cephas, or maybe Apollos, who was a great preacher, like, they had wives, they took up an offering. Like, you're not like them. You're doing things differently, so we're not even sure you're actually an apostle. It was the appearance of rites versus the authority of his role. I was recently, uh, Laura's transmission went out, and it's good now, so don't, I don't, don't email me about how to fix transmissions. I couldn't even if I tried. But I drove to the, this dealership that has a mechanic shop that's run by a Watermark guy, and all I can do is, like, drive in first gear. And, and if, I, if I push too much, it slips out of gear, and I'm just, like, in neutral with the engine revving. So I get from, like, Richardson to Addison, where this place is, in first gear. Uh, it's a miracle no one rear-ended me. And I get to the parking lot, and then there's a little incline to the garage. I push on the gas, and it's like, and slips out of gear. I'm right there. I'm so close, but I can't. So I, I open the door, and I'm pushing a Suburban. Me, pushing a Suburban, and it's not going anywhere. And this guy, like, runs down and, and gets behind, because all of a sudden it starts moving. I look back, I'm like, oh, you don't have to do that? And he's like, yes, I do. Look at you. And uh, don't laugh at that. I know what you're thinking. But, but we get it going, and so we get done, and he's, like, you know, wiping off his hands, and... I was like, so you work here? And he's like, yeah. I was like, you work in the shop? And he's like, no, not really. I'm like, oh, in the sales? And he's like, no. Like, He's like, I actually own the place. <laughs> and in his appearance, as I was judging him, I'm like, who's this guy that's pushing my car? I'm sure the owner was like, hey, go out there and get the guy's car into the garage. He was the owner. He pushed off all of his rights. He had every right to say to any employee, go get that car in the garage. It It was beyond closing time. And the owner came out in his business attire and starts pushing our old dirty suburban. He put off all of his rights for the sake to help me. It's what Paul says he was doing and it's what we are to do as we give, share, and live for the gospel. So first point, giving for the gospel. Here's the passage. It's six through 14. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? He's he's about to give 10 different examples of people who receive their living from what they are doing. So first is them there as ministers. Then he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority in case they're like, well, those are great opinions, Paul. Nice anecdotal worldview. He's like, okay, I'll take you to Scripture. Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And is it for oxen that God's concerned? He's gonna build a lesser to greater argument like, hey, it's true for animals, it's true for people. Does he not certainly certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowmen should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? Here's the key verse, verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, the principle that I would put before us in this passage is that giving gets the gospel out. That as we give, the gospel gets out. And so right now, my family, in part, is responsible for sharing the gospel and making disciples in Southeast Asia. And I've never been there. And you might think, like, well, how's that? Because there's a guy, a Watermark member, um, under East-West Ministries serving in Southeast Asia to reach Muslims for Christ and we're part of his support team. We give in part to him so that he can share the gospel in Southeast Asia. And so the giving, our giving for the gospel gets the gospel out. Now, Laura was on staff uh, here for four and a half years. She was JP's admin before he left to Harris Creek. We all forgive him for that. He's doing great down there. And, And so she served him on staff for four years. But When she got pregnant with our first, she could have chosen a couple of paths. She chose to be a stay-at-home mom. And I tell her often, like, you work harder than I do. I mean, I'm with the kids for four hours. I'm losing my mind. She's like, I do it all day, every day. She works harder than me, but you know, she hasn't earned a penny, not a single penny in the last eight and a half years as a stay-at-home mom. Not a cent. She doesn't do a tax return. She has no money to her name because of her occupation, and yet she works incredibly hard. The only way, in fact, she makes, she makes money, sometimes I'll come home, I get home from work, I'm like, hey, babe, where's the lamp? She's like, I sold it. <laughs> it's like, I didn't like it, so I sold it. I'm like, Facebook Marketplace or something. That's the only way. Now, you'd think if that's the only way, would be like, man, is she destitute? Like, she's probably wearing a potato sack starving, worn out shoes, no, that's crazy. She's at home raising our children in our household so I share everything with her, we share together, everything, there's no my account, her account, it's, it's our account, because she's to be given that for what she's doing. In the same way Paul's saying it like, hey, as spiritual children are raised up in the household of God, give to those who are contributing their life so that they can have a living. And so right now, the way that parents can sit here comfortably, instead of juggling kids, is because there's, there's kids ministers, and the way we can sit here safely, because there's safety and security people that, I mean, all of our giving is getting the gospel out and allowing them to actually have a living, rather than having nothing as a stay-at-home mom might in the case. And so that's 1 Corinthians 6 through 39, 6 through 13, as he lays these out. And when he talks about the oxen, he's like, hey, if you don't let that animal feed as it's going, it's going to falter. So if you, if you stop feeding the servant, it will starve and the work will stop. And so there's this reciprocal role that we have within the church. And I think like, like most of our lives, there's a difference between orthodoxy, a right belief about God's word, and our orthopraxy, like how we live out what we know that our head and our hands are often two different things. And so I don't think I'm sharing anything new with you. But statistically, there's a huge difference. And, and in case you're like, man, it's Father's Day and you're teaching on giving, are you kidding me right now? Like, man, that's, that's rough. Here's, here's the thing, there's no building campaign, we're not at a budget deficit, no one's asking you for anything today. Watermark doesn't want your money, God wants your heart. And your giving is between you and God. It says he loves a cheerful giver. So everybody, like, sigh of relief. We're not asking for money. But the Lord does desire to have your heart. Here's the giving statistics as far as orthodoxy and praxie. What percentage, I want you to think in your mind. Some guy in the first service, like, yelled it out. So think in your mind. (laughs) What percentage of Christians in America do you think give so that the gospel can get out? Got your percentage? Somebody just said five, I said in your mind. (laughs) I'm kidding, I think that's helpful. That's a good guess, it's two. Two percent of Christians give in America for Christians. Here's here's one that'll make you gasp even even more. Someone who earns $20,000 a year as a Christian is eight times more likely to give than someone who makes $75,000 a year eight times more likely, 20,000 is below the poverty line by a third, but they're eight times more likely. Why is that? Because they know what it's like to be without. And so they will readily, more readily, eight times more readily give. And this one is also shocking. Uh, Per capita and percentage of givers, so I said 2% of givers, giving was higher during the Great Depression than right now. So we have an orthopraxy problem even if we have a right understanding of giving. Um, recently, we were on a, well, it wasn't recently, it was spring break, we are on vacation, and uh, we, I, I didn't spring for the Uber XL, because I'm like, we're gonna cut corners where we can. So I just got a normal Uber with all my kids in the back, and I'm sitting, you know, shotgun with my Uber driver, Giuseppe, from Venezuela, who's immigrated to America, and we're talking, and tornado sirens are going off. I'm like, man, why are you driving right now? He's like, well, I got kids at home, and so I, I need to provide... And you may be asking like, why do you have your kids in the car during a tornado? But <laughs> it's a different story. <laughs> so they were riding, I'm like, hey, tell me about the, um, the climate in Venezuela right now, like politically, because I, I wanna build a bridge to start talking about faith and religion. Tell me about the religion there. And he's like, well, I always thought, you know, or what I think, what I do, I try to you know, go to mass and take Eucharist and pray when I can, you know, the rosary and different things. And I was like, Giuseppe, can I tell you something? Hey, those things, those things are good. You should go to church. You should take communion. You should pray. They won't get you to heaven. They have no ability to get you to heaven. The only way, do you know what the Bible says, and I walked them through Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? The only way is grace through faith, not your own doing. It's a gift, not by work, so that no one can boast. And, and sometimes when you're sharing the gospel, people are like, checked out. Like, and you're just like, all right, I'm planting the seed or I'm watering seed, but clearly that root is not breaking ground yet. Like, they're just hard heart. This was not the case with Giuseppe. He's like, "Oh my goodness, thank you so much. I've never heard that before. I never knew that was true. You mean it's just Jesus? It's just to place my faith, and he's lighting up. And then in between us, so I'm here, shotgun. Giuseppe's driving, and he's got one hand on the wheel and one hand, he's like digging through a cellophane bag. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, what's going on right now? He's about to eat lunch, or what's what's happening? And uh, he goes." Here, here! I want you to have this. I was like, "Oh no!" I've been saying you need a loving father, and you've been hearing, "I need peanut butter." I was like, "What do you?" But he was like, "I want you to have this, John." I was like, "I don't understand. I don't know. We don't give us your groceries." And he's like, "No, no. You've given me so much. I want to give something to you. Please, please take this. You've..." You've showed me and, and helped me to understand. Just give it to your children. It'll bless them this week. They'll, they'll, they'll enjoy it, and they did. And uh, it's like, I wanna give you something. That man driving an Uber with his groceries he was supposed to take home to his own family, when he heard the gospel, his, his immediate, I don't even know if he's a believer yet, but his response was, I have to share something with you, which is the principle of scripture. And the question is, will we do the same? Right now with this recession that we're headed into, if you haven't been reading the news, sorry for the spoiler alert, but (laughs) they think in six months we're gonna be in a full-blown recession. And so the world is saying, buckle down, like get everything safe, put it in cash, bonds, whatever, but like get it out of the market because things are going south. If you've invested in Bitcoin, we're all praying for you. (laughs) And uh, it hit 18 yesterday, so speaking of buckle up. um, But as the world says, buckle down, God says, double down. Like, this is the time to give. This is when we shine. When the world's like, no, 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 I'm gonna take care of me and mine, that's when we're like, let me, let me help you. As the world says, save, God says, give. As the world says, you take care of yourself right now, God says, no, you take care of others right now. That's why I've given it to you. As the world says, hey, we've got a slumbering bear of a market that we would say, no, we have a sacrificial lamb who gives all that they might be reached. And so Laura and I, as we're just like looking at things, I mean, groceries more, gas is more, all that, we've like had the conversation like, hey, we're gonna be really tempted right now to pull back on giving. And what we need to do is give more. Like now's the time to give more. Because Let me tell you this statistic. 49 They're saying 49% of Americans cannot afford a $400 emergency. Car repair, electric bill, house repair, who knows what, that $400 would break them. You know what that tells me? We have an incredible opportunity right now to be like, hey man, let me get your gas when you're at the tank and you see somebody that may be less fortunate than you. Hey, let me buy your gas or their electric bill of an, maybe an elderly neighbor. I don't know what, but we have an opportunity and God will show them. He'll lay it before you. And the question is, will you step into it? Will you give that the gospel might give out? Now, I'm sure he was a great guy, but St. Francis of Assisi has this phrase, preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words. It's a stupid phrase. It's unbiblical. No, one, no one's ever come to faith uh, because you bought them a cheeseburger, ever, Period. They will come to faith if you buy them a cheeseburger and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about the one who forgives us of our sins? That is the only way. It's the only way to preach the gospel. And so don't be like St. Francis of Assisi, and please don't email me because I'm sure he was awesome. But the point is this. As you give, give the gospel. Give so that the gospel can get out, but don't, be, don't forget the shit. I bought someone's gas recently. And I was like, can I tell you why I'm doing this? Man, because Jesus gave me everything, and now I get to help others and share my testimony right there at the pump. Do what you can to share Jesus with all. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Did you hear that? You're generous to the poor. You're actually lending to the Lord. And it says he will repay him for his deed. So I, I, I think you may be thinking possibly like, well, what are you saying right now? This passage is about that we're to give to those who use their living to share the gospel. I'm not asking you to cut a check to me or anybody else on staff. Never do that. Um, As you give to Watermark, the elders then steward, they have annual reviews and set the salaries of the people. So you don't need to give to people within the church Um, because as you're giving to the church, that's being stewarded. The other way that it's being stewarded is with partners locally here in Dallas to the ends of the earth, that as you give to Watermark, you can know that those dollars are being stewarded in a way that the gospel would get out. And you might think like, man, well, that, but that must be nice for you. Like, we all contribute, and you just, you get your check, and, but we give also. I give from giving. So Laura and I, we give the bulk of our giving, here at Watermark. Like that's the largest portion goes to Watermark because it says otherwise in scripture in Galatians that we're to share where we're fed. That as we are taught, we're to give there. And so we do. Here as part of our local church, that's where the bulk of our giving is. But then also we give to other organizations like Seed Effect, which is by David and Missy Williams, Watermark members who are doing microfinance in Sudan and refugees in Uganda that always hear the gospel. And so we're giving to them. Um, we give to. Uh, IJM, International Justice Mission, so that people who are being trafficked, children and women, can get out of that. Laura's got a heart for that. We give the World Missionary Press, which is kind of very little known, but I used to use their tracts in Haiti because they translate scriptures into over 100 languages so that you can just hand them out and people can have little Bibles in their languages. We give the Voice of the Martyrs, which is for persecuted or families of martyred, pastors and ministers in closed or dangerous nations so that they can be supported. We give the East-West Ministries, that missionary that I was talking about in Southeast Asia, we get to Launch Global. There's a buddy down in Austin, he and his wife train missionaries, in case you're like, can anything good come out of Austin? Yes. <laughs> uh, there are missionaries coming out of Austin, specifically, that are going to the 1040 window, which is Majority Muslim Nations and they're giving their lives from Austin, Texas, to go and live for the gospel for unreached Muslims. Um, we give to a yearly discipleship program, and then there's like isolated giving. We give to Our Calling that we're gonna feature next week with Love Our City, um, run by a Watermark member, Wayne Walker, and other Watermark people who are on staff. It's, it's the nation's foremost homeless ministry that that he will say next week, it's a discipleship ministry to the homeless. He'll probably rebuke me for saying it's a homeless ministry. It's a discipleship ministry to the homeless, but we give to them, like on North Texas Giving Day, Your giving could go to CDC, Watermark Health, but we're to give that the gospel might give out. And I do not say that so that you're like, well, good for you. You just stood up and told us all your giving opportunities. Um, I'm looking at Paul Brown right here. We gave to him so that he could stand and help, Moms who are pregnant not choose abortion. Thank you. Good job. But we give so that the gospel can get out. And it's not so that I can be like, hey, look at us. It's so that you might understand like this is just part of the Christian life. And woe be to me if I don't, if Laura doesn't. And somebody said to me recently when I shared this, uh, wow, how much money do you make that you can give that much? And I want to tell you, it's not about the amount, it's about the proportion. So I gave to roughly the same amount of organizations when I was a broke seminary student. I remember I was making $8,000, and I went to do my tax return, and the guy was like, you know you don't even have to be here, right? Like, you're, you're like 3X below poverty line. Like, the government's actually going to give you money. How are you even alive? <laughs> and, uh, but I was still giving to roughly the same amount of organizations. It was just a different amount. So I remember to one, I was giving like $5 a month, and I literally sent them an email, I'm like, hey, you've got to start stop sending me your marketing materials because my $5 doesn't even cover your annual reports, and like you're giving things. So hey, we're good, I'm gonna keep giving, but stop sending me your stuff, because it's a wash. And they're like, okay, we respect that, that's, that's good, that's good stewardship. <laughs> and uh, can you give more than five? I was like, not yet. So while the organization's, the number's about the same because God's not looking at the amount. He's looking at the proportion. Jesus said this when he's calling his disciples and everybody's putting their money into the coffers there at the temple. And and the rich were putting in out of their abundance, it says. But then a widow comes forward. And it says that she gave two widow mites equal to one penny. So like two half pennies. And she puts it in. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, she's given more than anyone because they gave out of her abundance and she gave everything she had to live on. And so it's a proportion thing, not an amount thing. Someone literally, and the box is marked giving in the back, and we never pass a plate here, we never will. There's no building campaigns, not because we're a budget deficit. There's just giving. But someone literally could drop two pennies in the back and give more in God's eyes than someone who cuts a check for a million dollars, because God is caring about the proportion. He sees what he's given to each of us. It's a stewardship issue, and our money is not our own. Now, if you're thinking like, dude, but what about that widow? She gave everything she had to live on. Like, Jesus, what's the rest of that story? She just broke? That's terrible. It's never the case. It's where you get the phrase, you can't outgive God you will never be broke because of generosity towards the gospel, it's impossible. How can I say that's impossible? Because in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, he will give seed to the sower so that you may be generous on every occasion. That will result in praise and thanksgiving as we testify to your gracious gift which shares a confirmation of the gospel. Paul's like, hey, as you're scattering seed for the gospel, God's giving back to you, not so that you can be rich, but First Timothy 6, so that you can be rich in good deeds. Now, the prosperity gospel will tell you, hey, give a little seed of faith, of money, so that you can be rich. And before I was a believer, maybe a baby believer, I was in this church, and literally there's a picture of a jet and an ocean liner on the screen. And they're like, you sow a seed of faith and God's gonna, and they pull some guy up like, I sowed a seed of faith and I got a Mercedes, I sowed a seed of faith. Like, nonsense. That's prosperity gospel. The gospel is, as you give for the gospel, not to be rich, but to be rich in good deeds, the gospel will get out. And so a lot of times in these prosperity gospel things, did this in the first service and someone was like, I think they can read your credit card number. I'm like, if someone reads a credit card number and like hacks my account in church, that's next level. I'm like, wow. Um, And you're like, what kind of wallet is that? It's the best wallet. It's a binder clip. I think it costs three cents. Uh, Happy Father's Day. Someone... So in the prosperity gospel, I've seen these pictures where they're like, hold up your wallet, ask God to bless your money, 100 hundredfold, 200-fold, oh, press down, whatever. That's crazy, crazy. It's, it's heresy. Instead, what we should be doing is holding up our wallet and saying, Lord, everything's yours. Everything's from you and for you, and you have given to me that my needs might be met and that I might meet the needs of others, period. Deuteronomy 8 says it's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In Psalm 50, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so it's all God's and we need to steward our money for the gospel. Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24, this is an incredible verse. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And again, hear me say, to be rich in good deeds. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Your money isn't yours, it's God. Watermark doesn't want your money, God wants your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, here's another principle, and then we're gonna move on. When you give for the gospel, it loosens the grip of greed. And we live in a city that is generally marked by materialism and greed, and when you give to the gospel, It loosens the grip of greed. There's been times before when things are tight with Laura and I, financially, and it's in those times that we're like, uh, we we need to give right now because we're tempted to put our hope in money. So right now we need to find something to give to. And prayerfully did so. I want you all to evaluate. If you're a member here, evaluate with your community group if you're giving. Why you're giving, to whom you're giving, and is it for the gospel to get out? And if you're not, there's no condemnation. Like, we're all on a journey spiritually. There's no, like, I can't believe you're not. It's like, man, that message, like, I never thought about that. That the money is the Lord's and I'm just steward, and I can help get the gospel out to the nations or locally or wherever by giving. We give that the gospel may give out, but we also share the gospel. Second point share the gospel. Paul says in verse 16, the key verse, he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge." so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. Paul is an itinerant preacher and pastor at this point in time. He's just moving through Corinth to see this church that he had planted, and he's, he's like, hey, I'm passing through. I don't want you to think. I'm just here to collect a plate to benefit off of you. That's not the case, but someday there's gonna be a pastor who will stay here and remain. To them, you need to give, but for me, like, no, no, I don't want there to be any question about my motive. I'm just rolling through but we've also got to share the gospel. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's not just give for the gospel to get out. He's like, I've got to, I've got to share the gospel. Woe is an onomatopoeia, which is a, a word that sounds like what it is. And, and that woe word, biblically, is a death sigh. That at the moment of death, this And he's saying, I would rather die than not preach the gospel. Woe to me. Death to me if I don't share the very salvation that I have been given. And so I do this. I did it at Walmart yesterday with my six year old daughter. As we're like getting groceries and we're there in the checkout line, I'm talking to the guy and he's speaking Spanish to the people in front of me. And so I was like, Gets to us. I'm like, Dude, that's so awesome. I love that you're bilingual so that you can engage with them. I'm sure that puts them at ease, makes them feel more comfortable. And, and there's less confusion. That's so cool that you're able to switch back and forth. He's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm learning at school. I'm like, where are you at at school? He's like, UNT. I'm like, that's a great school, good job. He's like, you went to school? Yeah. He's like, hey, let me ask you something. What was the hardest thing about your transition out of school? I'm like, there it is. Because I'm looking for a way to guide this, this conversation to spiritual things. And I was like, dude, loneliness. I was with my buddies 24 seven at college. I left, moved down to Austin. Went into advertising, and I'd get home from work, and I'm just, it's just me alone in an apartment. So I became an alcoholic, and I became a workaholic because workaholism solved some of my loneliness too, and became materialistic and greedy and status-seeking. But uh, man, Jesus changed me. I didn't even used to believe the really. I'm like I was a deist, but I cried out to Jesus. I'm now 16 years sober. The guy checkout guy he's like beep, beep. He's like, man, I'm three years sober. I'm like, bro. Praise God, that's awesome. I said, you know, it's crazy. I'm a, I'm a pastor now. And he's like, huh. Like, not like, oh, really? <laughs> like, oh, I kind of hate you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like hey, I want to share with you. I don't even think I asked him. I said, I want to share with you the story of the Bible because it's a big book. And he's like, beep, beep. I'm like, God created mankind because he loves us. But our sin has separated us from him. And that's why he sent Jesus, fully God, fully man, to die for our sins and raise from the dead. Beep, beep. I'm like, I don't know if you ever heard this or ever thought about it, but Christianity, every other religion, their founder is still in the grave. Only Christianity did Jesus raise from the grave. And every other, other religion says you got to get right with God by doing good works that outweighs your bad deeds. I'm like, even our own failed human justice system, you don't outdo your wrongs by doing a bunch of good works. You did the crime, you pay the time. So that justice doesn't even work. It's only Jesus. And he just looks at me like, kinda glazed over a little bit. I was like, I tell you what, um, cause I, I feel like I'm losing him. I'm like, I've written a book on on overcoming addiction. And because just fellow struggler to another, I was like, if you write down your cell phone, text me, um, I'm gonna get you that book. And uh, he's like, okay, man. Like, Pulls out the receipt, writes it down. And instead of just giving for the gospel, I'm sharing the gospel. And I think we had a connection. And I can't convert anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's job through Jesus. But our job is to share the gospel. And we've got to be faithful with that. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot. You know, you think about Uvalde that T.A. taught about a couple of weeks ago, just the tragedy, but how God's going to redeem all the pain and sorrow and tears in this fallen world that one day he'll make all things new. And Uvalde, it's still national and international news, But no one in the news is talking about the killer. No one in the news is like, man, why did he do that? I think generally speaking, the human race is like, yeah, things are messed up. Things are broken down here. Like, evil people do evil things. And it's horrific, the tragedy. But that's not the question people are asking. The question the world is asking, and you could tell me, I guarantee you know it, is could, the authorities have done more. And I'm not here to throw stones at authorities. Like, I I love officers and the authorities that we're under here in a Romans 13 sense. But the question that news reporters are continuing to ask is like, could they have gotten in sooner? Was there a delay? Did they have the right equipment? Why would, did, and i think there's probably maybe some reasons of like tactical communication i i don't know what it's not my job to know they're going to sort all that out but that's the question that the world is asking i think the question heaven is asking is the exact same one of like what are you doing church you're going to delay with your coworker or your neighbor or your roommate or your family member like you have the time, you have the resources, you're right there in proximity and they're being led to death by Satan and you're not gonna do anything? That's the question I believe heaven is asking, that we have to share the gospel. We give so that the gospel gets out and we share the gospel. Randy Marshall, retired man, retired pastor, speaker, he goes three times a year to the Ukraine. Now you'd think this would be his off year, right? Like. He's probably not going this year. No, he exactly went this year because of what's happening in Ukraine. He went as a million plus people are are fleeing as refugees out of Ukraine. Randy Marshall, watermark guy here, buys a ticket to fly to Ukraine to train up pastors so that they can share in a place that there is no hope. And he was like, John, people are coming to faith because as their worldly hopes go away, They are open to the hope of Jesus Christ. Chad Watson, who's a firefighter for Grand Prairie and a region leader, he spends all of his off time to reach Muslims here in Dallas for Christ. They're sharing the gospel. We give for the gospel, share for the gospel, and we live for the gospel, which is the third point. Paul, um, to put it in a summary, he says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And then he goes through, he's like, To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To those under the law, like under the law. To those without the law, as one without the law. Even though I'm still under the law of Christ. To the weak, I become weak. I become all things to all people that I might save some. And then he talks about the discipline that he puts himself under so that all of his life has come under the singular focus of I'm gonna reach people for Jesus. And he gives the illustration of the athlete who runs or a boxer who trains. And he says, all of me is to reach others. Now I think a thing that we are marked by here in America and really in Western society and perhaps the world is tribalism. We are marked by tribalism. It's become this like infection that has invaded us and we're not even aware of it until it's laid before us. But we have political tribalism, geographic tribalism, racial tribalism, age and generational tribalism. As as different generations are making fun of others, there is all this tribalism that keeps us separate socioeconomic tribalism that keeps us separate from each other. When Paul's writing like, no, don't be separate, move towards each other. How in the world is anyone going to be reached for the gospel if you just stay by your friends? Instead, take off all those differences, external differences, and move towards people that you might win some for Christ. And so you live for the gospel. Hear these words renounce tribalism in your life for the sake of evangelism because evangelism will end tribalism in your heart. If you, are, if you are determined to share the gospel with others, it will end tribalism in your heart. Now, what I'm not saying is that we like jettison our morality and our theology. There are many people right now, especially in pride months, who are like, oh, that's okay. Uh, like, I'll celebrate that. You can't celebrate sin while simultaneously trying to present a savior. They need no saving from anything. Instead, you love someone who is different from you, maybe theologically, morally, all the different tribes that we follow, but you do not compromise on your theology, otherwise they will not be reached for the gospel. So you hold the line and you proclaim Christ. There's another region leader, Patrick Gibbons, who owns a business, And this woman came to interview who has a wildly different worldview, theology or lack thereof. And so he hired her on the spot. For the sole purpose, he could have hired anybody, for the sole purpose of I'm gonna reach that woman for Christ. I want her to know the love of Jesus and he's not and words when he's around her. We've got to live for the gospel. Give for the gospel, share the gospel, and live for the gospel. And in closing, I want to share this. At our house, um, we we've, because, man, I'm juggling kids, I don't have time to juggle lights. So I've like bought for like 10 bucks a, a light, ti- it's not a timer, it has an optic sensor. So when it gets dark, the lights just pop on outside. There's LED lights that cost a fraction. And so when it starts to sense the sun going down and darkness coming, the lights, these LED lights that are very bright and are back in front just pop on, and there's no more darkness. And it's exactly how we are to live our lives. Not that that we would like repel like, oh, it's dark, pull back, pull back, pull back, because I'm of the light, and that's my job, and so I don't want to be around darkness, but rather that we would have that optic sensor, a, a salvation sensor, that when we start to feel, see, hear, sense darkness, that that light of the gospel would shine Forth. Not that we would pull back, but that we would shine forth in our giving, in our sharing, and in our living. Anytime we sense darkness around us and the people there with us, that that should be the indicator. All right, I'm going to love this person to Christ. I'm going to give that they might hear the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel with them. And I'm going to live my life in a way of light around this darkness. And that it would just automatically come on because it's all we're living for that we might win some. Let me pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that we no longer remain in darkness though we once were. And Lord, everything we have is yours. It's for you. It's from you. May we use it for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that our wallets would be surrendered to you that we would not grip out of greed, but we would give for the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would compel us, that we would ask, even in this moment, Lord, give me a gospel opportunity. And then you would embolden us in that moment, like, oh, this is what I prayed for. Now is when I speak. And that all of our lives would have the singular focus, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, that all of it would be for the gospel And for your glory that Jesus might be heard by those who remain enslaved. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.